What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys that would be killed before the rebellion even started with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm sad that B2 Emo just can't seem to catch a break. I'm Keith Baker, and I'm sad that a young Wedge and TAs didn't show up. And I'm Austin Terry, and praise be to the fact that we didn't see a single lightsaber in the show. On today's show, of course, we're returning for the third and final time to talk about Andor over on Disney Plus now that season one is officially done. If you are someone, I guess, out there before we go ahead and get into these last episodes in the finale, whenever they drop those first three episodes, I think, initially, we did an episode on that a while back. And then somewhere in the middle there between like episodes four through eight, I think, which was mostly uh, the high Stark, we did a separate episode on that and Tales of the Jedi. So go check that out, too. So, yeah, today we're going to be talking about mostly the finale and uh, some of those final episodes preceding it. So let's go ahead and get into it, guys. How about you remind everybody uh, what your thoughts are on Andor so far? And I guess if you're somebody listening to this episode, you know, there's probably no major reason to do like a big non-spoiler section because you've probably already listened to the past ones. You've probably been watching. This is mainly just the finale, like I said. But I guess just real quick, I guess you could give everybody your non-spoiler thoughts on maybe the finale as well now that that's done. Yeah, my general thoughts on Andor. Um, I wouldn't say it was a show I was excited about going into the year, uh, but it was definitely one I was curious about. And I was wondering why they wanted to tell a prequel story to a guy we met and saw his entire story in Rogue One. And then the premiere immediately hooked me. And then for me, it, it maintained that momentum all the way through its finale. Um, I Now that I've seen the entire show, I think this is the best piece of media to come out this year. It's not just a good Star Wars show. I think it's just one of the best things to come out this year. I think it's incredible. Um, and for the finale, I think they really stuck the landing. I really liked the way all of our different side stories converged on this one spot in the galaxy. I really liked seeing kind of the rebellion origins and seeing that spark that they always reference in Star Wars. I also thought it was cool that they told us kind of three different stories throughout this show with, with kind of their contained arcs. And all of those I thought were just as interesting as one of the other. And I just cannot wait for season two. I hope it comes like next week because I want to see the show so badly. I'm kind of like Austin, like what a cool portrayal of all these characters that we get. We touched on it so many times that it's cool to see everyday people in the Star Wars universe and not just, you know, the Jedis and lightsabers and Obi-Wan and Luke and all those kind of guys, the Skywalker family. Uh, it's cool to just see some everyday different people and what their role is in the Rebellion, the Empire. It's so fun to watch. And the action we've got with this with this series so far has been really cool. The character developments, like you said, Austin, have been really fun to watch. And yeah, I'm with you. I'm excited for season two. I can't wait to see who they bring in. I'm sure we're going to see some major characters come in in the next season. And I'm excited to see how these characters that we've gotten uh, will, will play out. So uh, yeah, it's been fun. Yep, right there with you guys. I've definitely been loving Andor all the way through, despite not being excited for it, like I kind of mentioned at the top. But yeah, just the writing itself in particular, the way the show looks, the way it's shot, um, the acting, it just feels like it's kind of a step above not only most Star Wars um, movies and shows, but just, you know, most kind of shows out right now. There's just, you know, there's a little bit of extra love, it feels like, in Andor from everybody involved, which is always awesome to see. Um, and yeah, kind of like Austin said, this one didn't really lose any momentum for me ever. I was nervous going in about a 12-episode season. It just seemed like, okay, I mean, that's definitely longer than usual. Let's see if they can kind of maintain the story and just everything throughout that many episodes. And I think they did. They definitely did. And, and maybe uh, segmenting it out into those different arcs uh, with the Ferrix arc, the Aldani heist arc, um, the prison arc, and then just kind of those last few episodes to wrap everything up. I thought it was a really great way to do it. Uh, and it always like felt like there was good variety because of that as well. Um, 
But yeah, man. Yeah, I think the peak of the show was the ending of episode 10, which was kind of the resolution to the um, prison arc. I was just like at an all time high there. And I thought the final two episodes were a great kind of um, falling action from that. And then there's kind of a little bit of an extra boost in the finale that I wasn't expecting. I thought the finale might be a little bit quieter and save some of the big resolution, big stuff for season two. But no, they gave us a pretty action packed finale that like pretty much everything in Andor, it was a good balance of that action while also just being very emotional and powerful, like character work as well. So yeah, I couldn't be more excited to see season two. And like I, like we've said on the previous episodes, it's kind of fun knowing that season two is going to be 12 episodes as well. And then that will, in some degree or another, that will lead directly into Rogue One. So we know the next season is all we're getting. So I'm just really excited to, like Keith said, it'll be fun to see the Rebellion go a little bit more public, I suppose. And, you know, we know characters like Jimmy Spence's Bail Organa would have to factor into that. But I think the best thing I can say is I'm also just incredibly excited to see how these characters we've been introduced to, where do they go? Because there's certainly some flexibility. I mean, of course, we know Cassian's endgame um, with the Death Star and how that all plays out. But, I mean, Luthen, um, like somebody like that. What about like all the characters from uh, Ferex, like Bix? I mean, they could, you know, do some interesting stuff with how they position them going forward. Um, do they all just die like Rogue One or do you have them kind of be background characters in the rebellion to some degree? So they have some flexibility that I'm excited to see them explore. So, yeah, just all in all, awesome first season. Can't wait for more. Andor is very good. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll call out before we officially move into spoilers is there's a really cool action set piece in the finale. And I'm assuming a lot of our conversation today will be about the finale specifically. Uh, but this this action set piece in the finale is the dirtiest Star Wars action I've ever seen. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. It felt very small scale compared to what we're used to in these kind of Star Wars conflicts. And it was the most like grounded Star Wars piece of action I think I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought the action just as a whole in the show, it was always great. It always felt different. Uh, I always felt impactful when it was there. And yeah, that finale in particular felt different from anything else in the show up to that point. And yeah, it definitely, it was great. And it was a great way to kind of bring all of our big cast of characters for the most part into one place, which made it also exciting. It's cool too, because they play with morality in the show a lot. It's not that all of our rebellion characters are good people or just inherently good. Like there, there is some badness there and they kind of I think we've talked about this in some of our past episodes. It's cool to see this show spend time in the gray area instead of being really black and white like we've seen other Star Wars projects do. Absolutely. So let's get more into that specifically and to everything to do with Andor. Let's go ahead and drop the spoiler warning. If you have not seen the last few episodes or the finale, of course, of Andor, I would definitely recommend go check that out first before listening to this last episode. Um, yeah, it's kind of all I have to say. Not much of a preface. Just go watch Andor if you have not. I know this is our last episode on it, but still, this is your final warning. Please go watch Andor and then come on back to listen to our spoilery thoughts. Fight the Empire! All right, Austin and Keith, we're in spoiler territory. So, of course, one last time, bunch of familiar names since we've run them down before. What do we got for Andor cast and crew-wise? All right, so Andor is created and written by Mr. Tony Gilroy, who is most well-known for writing the Bourne films, Michael Clayton, and Rogue One. He's also the uncredited director of Rogue One's reshoots. So these last three episodes, the prison arc was directed by Toby Haynes and written by Bill Williamson. The rest, including the finale, were directed by Benjamin Karen and written by the creator Tony Gilroy. Our score for the show is composed by Nicholas Brittle, and of course, based on Star Wars, by old Georgie himself, George Lucas. 
And going into our cast, we have Diego Luna, of course, returning as Cassian Andor, Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, Adria Arjona as Bix, Kyle Soler as Cyril Karn, Denise Gao as Dedra Miro, Faye Marseille as Vel, Verada Sethu as Cinta, Joplin Septane as Brasso, Ben Miles as Tay, Duncan Powell as Melshi, Dave Chapman as the voice of B2MO, and we got Fiona Shaw as Marva Andor, Andy Serkis as Kino Loy, Forrest Whitaker returning as Saul Guerrero, and Stellan Skarsgård as Luthen Rael. All right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives, what do we got? Yeah, I think I'm going to give my main highlight uh, to Andy Serkis as Kino Loy. I have struggled to find a character that only has three episodes on a show and is so memorable. Uh, Andy Serkis is just so cool in this show and like so calm and collected, and I, I really like seeing his arc go from a guy that just wants to do his time to get out to flipping into that rage at the Empire um, and just kind of like inciting the spark of rebellion in the prison as a whole. His speech in his final episode I thought was great. And then, of course, that heartbreaking moment when he gets to the edge and realizes he can't swim and is not going to be able to participate in the escape. So just all around Andy Circus, three episodes in and out, uh, but such a memorable performance, I thought. Yeah, he was so good. Um, definitely shout out to him as well from me. I think last time I shouted out Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, and she was excellent again, of course, in these next three episodes. But um, I'll make my main shout out to Denise Gao as Dedra Miro. I think she's one of the best characters so far in the, um, these, all these series that we've gotten. Watching her do her job, like it's, she's so serious about it. She's creepy about it. She's good at it. And the fact that she puts like kind of her personal feelings aside, now, now we're in spoiler territory, and we know that she may have feelings for Karn, but she's willing to put all that aside for the greater good of the Empire. Really good performance. Really cool character. I uh, can't wait to see what she does in the next season. Yeah, I think my main shout out would be just the writing and directing team. Uh, in this case, of course, we have uh, Toby Haynes, Bo Williamson, Benjamin Karen, and Tony Gilroy, who also created the show, like Austin said. I just think, yeah, I mean, all the pairings of the directors and writers so far in the season and just this show have been pitch perfect. I think the writing in general of the show just supports and props up and the actors and actresses and makes them look even better, even though they're already awesome. So, yeah, it's just. I don't know. Just those pairings are so good. And then on the acting side, I mean, it is hard to pick out. You guys certainly picked some great ones. I think each and every person on here deserves a shout. Uh, But I guess speaking of the writing, I'll be consistent with that. And I'll shout out Stellan Skarsgård. I think, you know, Luthen's such an interesting and compelling character to watch. He has been for the entire season. And I particularly loved him in the finale. But in terms of like how the writing propped up Luthen, I love that. uh, I don't know what you call like speech or monologue, whatever kind of about what he's been sacrificing whenever he's talking about uh whenever he's talking about that to the ISB agent who's uh not a plant but just a double agent I guess who's been providing information to Luthen um and thus the rebels in that case but whenever that guy is like talking about I've sacrificed so much and then Luthen just like runs through everything he's sacrificed in order to fight the empire so good so yeah sounds guard awesome um and the writing for the show I think has just always been great Yeah, I really liked his speech about how he's giving everything for a future he likely won't even see because of his age and everything he's going to go through. So he's sacrificing all this and he's not even going to see a future where he sees the results of his efforts. Yeah, for sure. Love it. All right, cool. Well, with that, let's finally uh, just break the ice and get into our freeform discussion, which is the bulk of our show. We each just made a big list and kind of threw some small points and big points, just things that we thought would be fun to have in our spoiler conversation. So 
Sounds like, Austin, you uh, wanted to start us off with some general opening thoughts. So what you got? Yeah, I want to start way out of order, and let's dive right into the post credit scene, where we get the big reveal <laughs> that uh, what they were building in the prison was indeed the parts for the Death Star. I want to talk about two things here. One is that I'm just super excited to see these characters in season two discover the Death Star and like what it is and its abilities and why they hatched the plan that they need to destroy that as soon as they can. And then two, I just want to get your thoughts on... Matt, you kind of predicted it in our mid-episode on Andor that they may be building the Death Star. So did you like this reveal? Was it underwhelming? Were you hoping it was something different? What are your general thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's a great reveal. Um, the only reason I suspected that during the early episodes of the prison arc was just I was like, I mean, clearly every single day they're building this exact same part. I mean, that's so many of the same parts. Like, what are they doing with it? I thought it might be fun if like they had no purpose, like they were literally just like tossing them out <laughs> just like for this like almost fake labor because they kept hinting at like nobody in the outside world knew what was going on in the prison. So I was like, oh, maybe there's no point to this just to keep them busy. But then I was like, nah, that's probably not it. I mean, the only thing I can think of in Star Wars that would require that many parts of like the same thing would be the Death Star. So I liked it. The thing I liked about it, though, was like the thing that they were using those spider droids uh, like welding in place the parts was specifically the gun of the Death Star. So I thought that was cool. It's like, okay, you know, you know, the whole like dumb George Lucas quote, like it's like poetry, it rhymes. So it's like coming in full <laughs> circle, uh, the whole thing, you know, we literally saw Cassie and Andor help build the thing that will literally kill him, the gun of the Death Star. So I thought that was cool. And it was just a great shot too, like watching it pull out. And then like you see like the gun slowly kind of eventually will fit perfectly into that little hole in the Death Star. So I thought it was cool. Maybe it was predictable for me, but it was still an awesome reveal. It almost makes the original trilogy with the Death Star scarier and dirtier in a way because it was built off of prison labor, essentially citizens that the Empire has enslaved, and they're building the weapon that's going to go destroy future planets. So I think it ties back to the original trilogy very well and um, kind of closes that loop there of how this Death Star got built and makes it scarier to me. Yeah, definitely makes it a lot darker. It's like, I mean, they're practically committing genocide, too, while they're at it, killing hundreds of prisoners. And then the other ones that are in there are not ever going to get out. Um, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, that was another one of my maybe my actual favorite reveal of the show was the whole like workings and kind of dynamics and what they were actually doing inside the prison. Just like once, you know, you are supposedly getting out, you know, your big day, they just throw you on a different floor. Uh, I think that was uh, episode nine because it just had such a good ending with that reveal uh, from the doctor. And then that immediately follows up with Cassie and finally getting through to Kino Lloyd. Never more than 12. Awesome ending line. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, what else with the prison? I know we, we've already talked about the prison before on our uh, like midway through check-in episode, but I guess we could kind of just talk about the escapes. Like what, what were your kind of highlights? What were your favorite moments of like the ending episodes of the prison and the escape and all that stuff? I know we've talked about some of it already, but there's a lot to talk about there. Yeah, one of my favorite moments was when Kino Loy is giving his speech and he takes something that Cassian said to him. And I think it was like, I'd, I'd rather fight these guys than stay under their heel or something like that. He takes a line that Cassian said and gives that to the whole prison. And that's what kind of motivates everyone to get out. I thought it was a really cool moment for Cassian watching something that he said inspire a whole prison of people to riot against the Empire. You can kind of see that those are the things for his character when he's realizing maybe I do have a chance to do some real good here. Yeah, it's just really cool. Like the arc of Cassian throughout the show, it's pretty easy to track uh, once you get to the finale. I suppose, like with the big stepping stones, the big milestones, like I said, I should say, that led him to becoming the rebel that we know him to be in Rogue One. Because, yeah, I mean, really, when he's trying to get out of the prison, really, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but he wants to get out of the prison selfishly 
and again, I know it's a prison, but like, yeah, he should want to get out, but he's not doing it for like everybody else in there. So like, yeah, like you said, Austin, it's cool to see Cassian see like the direct effect of what he had done and like, like the inspiration. I mean, really like this true rising up that echoes throughout the entire prison. I mean, that really happened because of him to like a pretty huge degree. So that's pretty cool. And then I think whenever you skip forward a little bit more and then you get like him going to Ferrix and he gets to hear, you know, his mom's like final plea to fight the empire. And then, yeah, kind of the way that all plays out. It's like, it's really cool to see how he became who he became, because I think there was times where I was like, huh, like, how is he going to become a rebel? Like, I mean, he keeps kind of like dodging responsibility. He doesn't want to be this figurehead. So like, how are they, how's that going to change? And I think now that we're looking back on it um, from the perspective of the finale is done, I can totally see how he became who he became. And I, I love that trajectory. I think the prison escape is one of those huge formative moments. And I, I love the direct line of going from Kino's speech to Marva's speech because Marva's speech was great. And it's cool that Cassian got to hear it. I loved how she called out, like, we've been sleeping, we've been comfortable, we kept trade lines open, the Empire left us alone, but now they're here and they're not leaving. I thought that was such a cool moment. And then seeing her inspire all of Ferrix was awesome, but then also the fact that Cassian got to hear it, and then later on he speaks to Bix, I think, and she says, I saw Marva, and he goes, wasn't she great? You can tell he's really proud of his mom. And so seeing Cassian inspire Kino, Kino then leads to the uprising, and then you see Marva inspire Ferrix and Cassian gets to hear that. You can kind of tell that he has like rebellion blood in him now. Like he's been around all these people. All these people are influencing him. And it's definitely going to influence the character that we see in Rogue One. Do you guys want to touch on the, uh, the action on um, the prison? And like, what did you guys think about him like breaking the, uh, the pipes for the water to go in the floor and everybody's jumping on the table? And like everybody's really choreographed really well in it. I just really liked how slow it was. I, I like seeing them go from floor to floor. Cassian's original group of like six people gets weapons and then they can take another floor. There's more weapons up there. They can hand it out to another room. Like you can just see them slowly building their forces up so they can then outnumber all the guards. And I actually really like seeing the guards kind of hidden uh, because these aren't stormtrooper soldiers. They're guards that, yes, they're doing terrible things, but they're not bought into the Empire's mission, I don't think. Like they're not like ground soldiers, so they're just going to try and hide and stay alive. So I like that. There was also really great tension in the escape. Like I was worried it wasn't going to work for them. And maybe there was going to be like a larger force up top that they weren't aware of or something like that. Like it felt like felt like things weren't going to go right for them. Um, and like getting seeing them actually get out was such like a like a exhale moment in the show because it was so tense for the whole episode. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I liked I like the action just in general. I thought it was always so good. And it's always cool to see them create a plan, particularly in the prison, and then watch them execute on that. Like, you don't always know 100% what they're doing or how they're going to do it. And it's like, man, we're going to see such heavy losses from this, aren't we? And uh, we did. But yeah, it was so cool to see them kind of take the prison step by step, like you said. And I think that also kind of ties into, um, I know we'll talk about like the finale action more in depth, I'm sure. But it also ties into whenever Cassian does get onto Ferrix, he has to create a plan again, right? To get Bix out of there, get to safety. So watching them kind of come up with this plan, even though you you as the audience don't fully know what it is until they're actually doing it, but kind of watching him then be able to, in the midst of all this crazy action and like all the stuff going on, he's able to somehow infiltrate uh, the Empire building on Ferrix and get her out of there, which he should not be able to do. Uh, but yeah, it ended up, it was great to see that both in the prison sequence and in the finale, the way that like they kind of execute these plans one at a time. Uh, I think that you could even, I think, definitely argue that ties into that final flashback with his dad whenever he's kind of talking about how 
how, how aren't you know people paying more attention you know to these things on the ground kind of so it, it's almost setting up that you know Cassian is kind of built for this type of work in a sense because he had that upbringing with Marva and and Clem and I I think every time they flash back to his dad it might have only been like three times it was always for very important things and I think like seeing that flashback it totally makes that final flashback I mean it totally makes sense how Cassian was able to come up with and execute these plans both in the prison and on Ferrix because he had that uh, relationship and his dad kind of instilled in him, you know, how to do things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. I, I liked uh, that context. All right, cool. So, yeah, we've kind of talked about the impact, I would say, of um, Marva's speech to, you know, wake up and fight the Empire, which was a badass, like you said, Austin. Um, and then, of course, getting Bix out of there. But that's really just kind of a <laughs> the start of everything that ends up happening on Ferrix. So what did you guys think once he kind of initially gets to Bix and then things really start to go bad whenever that one asshole Empire guy kicks over poor B2 emo? And then that's when uh, finally everybody kind of hears Marva's words echo in their heads and uh, they start fighting. And I know, Austin, you referenced this being like one of like the dirtiest action scenes in Star Wars. So let's just break down the action and like, kind of like the rest of what happens on Ferrix. Yeah, seeing like the picket line with the riot shields and people falling down and them dragging both Empire soldiers and civilians like on the other side of the line and then like slowly moving forward and everyone's dirty and getting pushed into the ground. I thought that was so cool and choreographed so well. It also weirdly reminded me of the American Revolution where... Uh, the, like the original conflict starts with one bullet and it's the shot heard around the world. This starts with that bomb going off. It kind of like, it just felt very reminiscent of that to me for some reason. So I, I thought it was super cool. And I like that the guy actually used his bomb. I was worried he was going to have like a moment where he's like, I can't stoop to the empire's level. I, I like that he actually used it and that explosion too, and the smoke and everything going quiet. And then you see Vel sprinting full speed into it. Just I thought all of it just looked so cool. And what a what a cool build up to it as well. The band starts playing and the horns are going off. Yeah, I never thought we'd see a marching band in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the tower guy banging on the like the the gong like thing, and watching the Empire just surround everybody and and shoot people down was super sad and really dark. And yeah, like we haven't seen something like that happen in Star Wars ever. Really, just shooting civilian. We've seen people civilians get shot in the Star Wars universe, but not at such a mass level like that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, because that, that really stood out to me, was I don't know if we've ever seen stormtroopers just openly firing into a crowd like that before. Like, that was super dark to me and, and really added to just the evilness of the Empire. Yep. I think uh, stormtroopers in the past are always pretty comical. Obviously, you know, the whole joke since the movies came out is like they can't really aim at all. I mean, characters, I've always thought like one of like the dumbest scenes ever in Star Wars is in the original when... I guess when Obi-Wan becomes one with the Force and it looks like Darth Vader killed him in Luke's eyes, and then Luke just screams, no! And then like all of a sudden, all the stormtroopers, of course, turn and start shooting at him. And he's somehow able to just stand there, shoot for a little bit without moving. And then Han Solo or somebody walks over like, come on, kid, we got to go. Like, they, they, yeah, they can't aim the stormtroopers. It's stupid. Uh, so it was nice to see something uh, very tonally different. I mean, not only... Is their aim pretty hard to dodge? But yeah, it's one shot. You're getting hit once and then the characters just, you see like that burn like hole in them and they fall over and they just like do close-ups on like their lifeless face. I mean, it's really kind of haunting. And like, I think in the finale, especially they did um, make an effort to kind of hold some of those shots longer on uh, the carnage a little bit. 
uh, like the guy that I also forget his name, but uh, he's the one that I think told Cassian initially over the radio that Marva died. Like he like jumps on a stormtrooper or somebody, an Empire person's shoulders, and like while he's like trying to take them down, he just gets shot in the back, and then like the camera just holds on his body after he falls over, and it's like oh, so yeah, it, it it was really terrifying. Yeah, so I think. Andor has always done such a good job of building tension, but then the execution of that tension is always way, way harder to watch and choreographed better and just way more effective than anything you could imagine. So I definitely did not expect this level of violence um, as it was building up to it. Uh, but then when it happened, yeah, I mean, it was just, ugh, it was hard to watch. And yeah, the Stormtroopers, I, I don't think we've seen anything quite like this before in Star Wars because it's so different than... I mean, t- stormtroopers are always just goofy. It feels like they just like I don't know. They're just used as jokes, which is sometimes fun. But this was definitely a lot more impactful. Yeah, they're so goofy that like Daniel Craig can play them in <laughs> yeah. the the brand new Skywalker trilogy. Um, I also it was a good job of showing at this point how technologically advanced the Empire's soldiers are right now, because the people of Ferrix are basically going at them with like wrenches and metal poles. And then the Empire has like full on machine guns and like tanks and stuff. So seeing that juxtaposition, I thought was really cool, too. I like seeing Brasso literally fighting people with Marva's brick. (laughs) I think we talked about this in the initial episode and I'm no Star Wars expert, so I don't know. I thought this show is going to be like about like the literal origin of the rebellion. I know to a degree it is. But like when this show started, you know, characters like Luthan and Mon Mothma, they've already been doing stuff like this. Same with Sakurera. So I don't know technically like what in Star Wars, like the timeline would officially be called. Like this is when the rebellion officially started. Like would it be like right when Mon Mothma started? I don't know. Maybe. Not really the point. What I'm trying to get at is while the rebellion's already kind of in the early stages and in effect by the time this show is starting. It really does feel like in the finale, whenever we're getting that hologram of Marva giving that speech, it really does feel like this is when the rebellion actually starts. Um, so it was cool to see that and not just kind of skip over something like that. And it's another reason why I love that almost, I think with just the exception of maybe Mon Mothma, every single main character is on Ferrix and is witness to that speech. Like, it was awesome to see Luthan, who is there to literally kill Cassie, and it's great to see his reaction to this type of speech. And I think it's what, I wouldn't say softens him, but you can just tell just because Stellan Skarsgård is a good actor, just by him hearing what Marva is saying, I think he's like, ah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what I'm fighting for too. So, it, and I loved how that kind of dovetailed into the final scene with him and Cassie on the ship. But I just love that we got to see, like, all the characters react to this moment. I think that added to my feeling that, okay, we're seeing our huge ensemble here and they're all present for this huge, like formative moment. This is kind of the the spark that we always say when talking about the rebellion. This is it. Yes, the rebellion did already technically start before this, but this feels like the huge moment. Like people are going to be talking about the rebellion on Ferrix as like kind of the the first like major moment where people started pushing back against the Empire. So I think that's going to be a perfect way to get into season two. Yeah, and I really love that Luthan was there to hear the speech because you're right, Matt, like people have been rebelling, but they've always been in the shadows or they're like Saw Gerrera where they're like essentially uh, insurgents. And I think this is the moment in the Star Wars history where the rebellion kind of comes into the public eye and people are actually going to hear about this now instead of it just kind of being rumors that there are people rebelling. Like this is a visible thing that's going to make news across the galaxy. Um, I also want to talk about just Luthan's kind of arc by where he goes at the end of the finale because 
up until this point, we've seen that he's kind of willing to be a darker rebellion character where he's willing to sacrifice Krager. He's willing to go kill Cassian if it's going to give him away. So he's willing to kind of bend that moral compass. And I really like seeing the arc of, of how Marva and the people of Ferex do soften him, like you said, Matt. And now him and Cassian are going to be able to work together more effectively in season two. It's like he's definitely the one that's willing to do the, the dirty work of the rebellion, doing the things that people like mom maybe can't do right now because she's still in the, uh, the limelight of being a senator and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's also because, as we heard in like the final conversation, I think it was the final conversation with uh, Sagarera and Luthen, that they look at this as a war. I mean, they say as much like this is a war to them. This isn't just like, oh, you know, we got to stand up to the empire and do the right thing. No, like they're treating this like as an actual like campaign, like a conflict. So, yeah, they just kind of view it differently than we've seen some people uh, in different stars media. And that's also because this is in the early stages of it. By the time like a new hope rolls around, uh, that's kind of like an obvious thing. We don't need to call it a war because like we're literally going to take down the Death Star because we have the plans for it because of the work that was done in Rogue One. So yeah, the fact that they're just treating it like a war so early on, I think is surprising to people like Mon Mothma and like, yeah, they're going to go to any risk and do what they have to do. And that's why I think talking about Luthen Zarka was why it was such a great moment to have him just a uh, like that final smile that he has whenever Cassian's like, you know, kill me or take me in. And he's like, you kind of just get the idea. Yeah, like we're going to do we're going to do some cool shit together. It's going to be interesting in season two to watch Luthen kind of mentor Cassian, because I think Luthen is really going to influence the character we see in Rogue One of Cassian, because Rogue One's open. Rogue One opens with him killing someone on the rebellion side who's giving him information so he can't get out. I think we're going to see a lot of Luthen influence the character we see in Rogue One of Cassian. I'm excited to see how Vel and Cinta play into that, too. You have to imagine that they would also be part of that group. I guess maybe one little negative I could give is it's like, I kind of wanted to know more about Cinta. It really feels like after the High Stark, literally all she did was tr keep an eye on Andor on Ferrix. Uh, it would have been nice to get a little bit more of that. Like, it was nice to see some extra Vel scenes whenever she was back on Coruscant, but we just didn't get the same for Cinta. But I am, I am hopeful and excited that they at least address it in season two. Like, it would be nice if Cinta and Cassian don't you know, continue their relationship on the best foot because Cinta has like wasted all this time now on Ferrix, like trying to find him and kill him. And then when like next time she talks to Luthen, it's going to be like, Luthen's like, oh, no, no, he's with us now. So hopefully they kind of address that and we get to see a relationship form from there. But I just hope that Cinta and Vale are part of this uh, crew as well. I, I imagine they will be, but yeah, we'll see. I agree with you. I think Cinta felt like the most wasted character this season. And it was interesting too, because when, when we do the Aldani High Stark, Vel seems like the most bought in. She's in charge. But then when we spend a little bit more time with her and Cinta, Cinta actually seems like the one who's way more bought in than even Vel. And she's willing to just follow Luthen's orders without question. And Luthen's going to need help, by the way, because he's going to need a little crew on his ship because he has to have somebody, I think, uh, uh, replace the batteries on his really cool red lasers that he fires. Yeah, we got to talk about that. That was like a Top Gun Maverick scene they threw into Star Wars. Talk about another tense scene in Andor. Jeez, like that entire scene and then like the buildup and like having the release be that amazing action scene was so, just so great. I don't know. I love that scene. It's like casually seeing somebody get pulled over too in the Star Wars universe, mm -hmm. like how that can go sometimes. Yeah, so it was, the, it was the Alderaan system he got pulled over at and he ended up not going there, obviously, because he had to get away uh, from the patrol ship. So do you guys think he was going there to see Organa? I would say probably yes, right? Because Organa's you know, the main, one of the main leaders, I guess, of Alderaan. So what do you guys, do you guys think he was going to see him? 
I, I guess my answer is yes. I'm not sure if he was just passing through the Alderaan system. Um, I don't really care about Bail Organa that much. If we never see him, it's fine with me. I just he's just a guy that is involved. He held Luke as a baby. I could care less about him. So <laughs> <laughs> you're glad that he blew up on Alderaan. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I am curious. Just almost by continuity how he comes into the picture. We see him and Mon Mothma have a conversation in Rogue One, um, and then he leaves for Alderaan, where he literally ends up getting killed. So I I, I don't know. Um, it would be interesting to see if Luthen and he have some sort of rapport. Whenever they introduce the element of Mon Mothma needing more money and needing funding, that's where I thought Bail Organa might come into the picture, uh, because he has a lot of money, but then also I was like, well, I guess he also has the same problem as Mon Mothma, where he's in the public eye. So I don't know how all that works. But yeah, it, it is interesting to see how maybe some of the characters that we would have to see because of their connection to the Rebellion, how they might feature in season two. But either way, I don't care too much about if he was going to see him or not would be interesting. But the, the main thing really is I joked about it, but like those red lasers, whatever you call it, the lasers that he did where he just spun in the air and killed like two TIE fighters at once was like one of the sickest things we've ever seen in Star Wars. Well, let's talk about Mon Mothmore a bit more because I really thought by the end of the season, we would kind of see her at a rebel base, like directing things. I was surprised she was still on Coruscant by the time this ended. Matt, you mentioned the funding deal. It seems like she's going to be entering her daughter into an arranged marriage, which is interesting. Another thing I didn't think we would see in Star Wars is like, I guess that's a custom of her people, but she's trying to get away from that. And then I guess just going into season two, too, like in Rogue One, she's at a base like giving orders so yeah uh, she's gonna have to get to that point by the end of season two so i'm curious to see how we get from this mon mothma on coruscant to like literally directing the rebel army yeah do you think that they're setting up mon mothma to kind of lose everything so that she almost has like nothing to lose when it comes to like running things in a more direct and in-person way like you mentioned by the time of rogue one for example because we know andor starts five years before rogue one and we know he spent, you know, a decent amount of time in the prison. But regardless of that, season two, 12 episodes, is still going to have to advance. It's going to have to take place over the course of years. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they pace that and how things change for her. But, I mean, already, if you want to throw a prediction out there, it's like, I think it's going to be tough going through this whole arranged marriage thing, even though they did say that Mon Mothma's daughter is, like, all for it. So it's not going to be, like, a yeah, conflict in that sense. very interested in their customs. Right. But, if, like... Maybe Mon Mothma will later try and get her daughter out of that, and maybe that will create resentment. We also know that she and her husband don't have the best relationship. So is there like a scenario where like both the daughter and the husband kind of, I don't know, like remove themselves from her life, particularly because they also set up that the daughter does seemingly have a very good relationship with the dad. So I could very easily see them kind of leaving the picture and then Mon Mothma being like, wow, I lost everything when it came to my personal life, almost kind of reminiscent of Luthan's speech about how much he sacrificed. Maybe she goes down the same path. And then by that point, when Rogue One comes around, she's like, well, fuck it. I guess I'll just, you know, lean full on into the rebellion. So that's why we see her in Rogue One, maybe. So that could be a possibility. We know her husband is an Empire supporter, and he thinks the rebellion is a waste of time and needs to be squashed out. So I could almost see her husband almost turning her in when he figures out what she's actually been up to. And maybe he's upset that all of her money is going towards the rebellion instead of his gambling stuff that he wants to do. Because he's very in on living the high life on Coruscant, so I could see him kind of betraying her. Maybe her daughter sides with him, or maybe somehow her daughter ends up getting killed, and that's kind of the, the breaking point for her. But I, I do think there's going to be some some conflict and breaking between her and her husband. And going back to your initial question, how she gets from where she's at now to her rogue, her rogue one status, 
she's going to have to lose the senator position at some point. And maybe maybe that's when Palpatine comes into play in next season, if he does come in at all. But going into the family aspect of things, so when, she's, when she gets into her little uh, limo um, and her driver is listening to them, so the driver's a plant, and she brings up the gambling with her husband, that's probably a cover of some sort for her, her money coming in from Tay and the gangster guy that her daughter's marrying and all that kind of stuff. Um, not that her husband's involved in that, but she's just using her husband's gambling past problems uh, now to kind of make, I guess, make a front. Yeah, that's what Keith and I were talking about, and I'm not entirely sure how you read it or even what the actual answer is. But is it just like a happy coincidence this worked out? Because after the whole scene about, you know, talking about the gambling, uh, we do later see like Deidre's rival from the season talking with some, talking with the driver. Because I, I feel like I remember at some point Ma Mothma acknowledged to Luthen that she knows her driver is a plant by the ISB. So whenever Deidre's rival and the driver are talking about it, is this just like a happy coincidence? Like, did she have, did she, maybe the husband doesn't have a gambling problem. Maybe he used to, and she's now just bringing it up again so that, I know I'm like, I'm scatterbrained over the place, but, De- but the point is Deidre's rival says, oh, this explains why Mon Mothma's financial situation has seen like so much loss. Mon Mothma, that was always tricky for her because she's like funding the rebellion but now the ISB just thinks that it's because the husband has gambling issues. So now I'm back to where I was. Back to where I was. <laughs> My head's on straight when I, what Keith and I were talking about. But is this just like a happy accident that the ISB thinks this? Or is this Mon Mothma like, is she like willing to like set her husband up to fail? I guess is my question. Is she kind of like totally fine with him like, you know, getting in trouble for this? Like there really is no gambling problem right now. But since the gangster is going to fund the rebellion now, they have to have a reason why there's so much money leaving her account. And the ISB just thinks it's because her husband gambles. So did Mon Mothma say this while the driver was listening on purpose is the question. Yeah, I didn't take it that way. I actually took it. uh, The ISB didn't know about her husband's gambling problem. And now they want to use this to get him more under their thumb so they can maybe turn him against her. And maybe this is the reason that he betrays her. That's how I took it. Yeah, I could see it either way. I could definitely see him turning against her if he finds out too much. I mean, certainly that's not going to sit well with him. But I think it is possible that like maybe Mon Mothman will beat him to the punch, basically. Like she could get him in serious trouble for like this fake gambling problem he has just because she needs him out of the picture. And that way it makes sense why her accounts like are running out of money and like so much is going in and all that. So. We'll see. Yeah. Either way, it could be interesting. It'd be nice to like see like a, a Mothma family war <laughs> over this money. It would be interesting. I think your theory makes sense, though, because that whole scene was weird to me because I was like, she knows her driver's a plant. Why is she talking so openly about this? Right. So maybe maybe she was just saying stuff. It's maybe like a visual cue also is like every time we saw Mon Mothma go talk to Luther in the shop, she always like like unbuttoned or whatever the word is, like she opened her collar up. So to me, that like visually always said that Okay, Mon Mothma's like leaving the whole like prim and proper senator thing behind, and now she's in rebel mode. And she did that right before her husband got in the car, and they talked about it. So I was like, oh, okay, is this like a, is this like a plan that she has? So I don't know. Either way, I think both will be interesting in season two. I guess before we move on to any other, you know, hopes for season two, we could talk about our last uh, group of main characters here that we haven't covered too much yet. Uh, let's just talk about Deidre and Cyril in general. Any uh. Not even like them together. I just mean like what about these characters in the la- in these last episodes kind of stand out to you? Yeah, Ciro's interesting because it, it does seem like he's infatuated with Deidre. Like it, it seems like he genuinely 
maybe love's the wrong word, but he's like obsessed with her is what it seems like. I think obsessed is the right word. So that's interesting to see that play out because it seems like she's going to kind of be in debt to him. I thought the most interesting thing was seeing the way DJ reacted under combat, um, how stressed she got because presumably she's always kind of been an office worker. It almost was the exact same way Cyril kind of broke down when he was actually tied up and stuff in the premiere. So it was cool to kind of see those two, like the cowardness of those characters kind of come out briefly. But then, of course, Deidre does regain herself in that scene. Yeah, they're very similar to each other, which is kind of cool how they are kind of putting them together. And she seems to kind of have like a soft side for him, too, that she's kind of afraid of as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens because she definitely has the support of that um, that upper ISB agent. But, I mean, we did see what happened to her rival when he kind of failed on Ferex whenever he was uh, overseeing that. And they kind of stripped him of that responsibility and gave it to Deidre. So will she get the same treatment? Like, will this be viewed as a failure that like this got to be worse under for her? Yeah, right? you would think so. So does she lose some favor? And if so, that could be the setup for her to be like, all right, well, fuck this. I'm on a, a personal revenge tour against Cassian Andor and uh, Ajax, I think, is like their name for Luthan, who they don't know it's him. Um, and that would make sense to bring Cyril into that. So maybe that's what they were trying to do with that last scene is just make it clear that they'll probably be sticking together and they'll have to go after uh, that group by themselves without much ISB support. But yeah, I said it in the earlier episodes, but watching Deidre rise up through the ranks kind of of the Empire as this like analyst type character was super compelling. And we were almost rooting for her, which was kind of a weird feeling when it came to somebody in the Empire. Um, but yeah, it just the second she got on Ferrix, that's where it like it's almost like the whole behind the scenes of the Empire thing faded away. We were able to root for her in those. And then once she was actually in Empire mode and she was like, you know, totally like loving torturing Bix, basically being like totally complicit in that and setting it up and just doing it over and over again. Um, yeah, that's sort of like the true almost what we expect of a lot of the Empire people came out and she totally embodied that and became a great villain towards the end. So. What a crazy arc for her, like a, almost like a weird character. We Not a hero, we could root for them very easily early on. And then like the second she like lands on the Ferex, just like a really compelling villain all of a sudden. Do you think she's going to get stripped of everything and then her and Cyril are going to have to move back in with his mom? Maybe. And she, I hope she has enough cereal for the both of them. Um, blue milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So I guess we could go ahead and close out here. Um any kind of just general, you know, closing thoughts on Andor as a whole or any of these ending moments? Is there anything else we got to talk about before we close out here? Yeah, I'll just say for the ending moments, I really thought they stuck the landing on the finale. We're in a great spot for season two. I love that they wrote this to be two seasons. They know the story they want to tell. I'm super excited to see it play out. Um, and then just kind of general hopes for season two. I'm super excited to see Mon Mothma and how she ends up actually leading the Rebellion Army at a base. I can't wait to see that. I do want to know what these characters think about the Jedi. Like, is it a myth to them? Are they, do they think the Jedi abandoned them? I, I want to know their thoughts on that. And then I would also kind of like to see another conflict between the rebels and the empire, but I want to see like an inquisitor or, or somebody really powerful show up. And I want to see how scared these like everyday people are of the empire's like lightsaber users. Like, I kind of want to see that at some point because we saw how scary it was when Vader showed up in Rogue One. I'd like to see that for for like these characters, like their first um, like their first time interacting with somebody who has those abilities. Closing thoughts for me. I think I'm with you, Austin. I think they stuck the landing with this ending. What do I want next? I think, you know, everything we already mentioned, I want to see, you know, what happens with Mon Mothma. You know, I want to see her get away from being a senator in Coruscant and 
into the rebellion, leading people in squads into different planets and all that and all that good stuff. Um, as far as characters I want to see, I, I did mention it earlier. I think it would be cool to have a Palpatine appearance, but if it doesn't happen, I'm I'm not going to be upset about it. And then one thing I've I've mentioned last time we talked, I do want to see one of the bases get created, whether it's Hoth Echo Base or maybe that base on Yavin or. You know, one of the main bases we've seen in the uh, the original Star Wars w- would be really cool to see. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Yavin, because I, I think that's the one they're operating out of in Rogue One. So maybe we'll see that base get established. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. it'd be interesting. Yeah. It would make sense if Luthan had hands in creating some of these bases that we know very well. Like, you know, if he was behind Echo Base on Hoth, if he was behind Yavin's base. I mean, all that would actually make sense if he had uh, some say in that being created. So we'll see. I think that would pop up in season two. And speaking of Luthan, I'm just excited to see what kind of missions that he go that he goes on, presumably with Cassian, that take place over the passage of years. It'll be how do they handle the passage of time in this show? I mean, obviously Luthan was behind the Aldahani heist, some stuff on Ferrix, obviously. So what will he and Cassian do together? Are we going to see similar missions to that? Does Saw Guerrera factor into that? So tons of options. I'm just curious to see what types of rebel missions will happen now that the Ferrix thing will probably go public. Um, are we going to see more of these, like, I guess, louder, you know, maybe not as in the shadows type of work from the rebels? Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Cassian as a part of that, too. Um, and again, I'm, I'm kind of with Austin and Keith here. It's like, I don't really care. I never really cared going into a show called Andor what the possible like cameos from people that we know could be. It doesn't really matter to me. Obviously, they mentioned the Emperor several times. Would it be cool to see him? Like you said, Heath, sure. For like a one like little quick appearance, that might be fun. Maybe Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic makes more sense. Would that make sense to see him with his role with the Death Star? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, the point is, you could very easily throw characters like that in. I don't think they need to. Um, I think if you go too hard on that, you're going to run into the Mandalorian season two or Book of Boba Fett problem, which is, you know, there, there's some great stuff in here, here and there. Um, but I just feel like at times you're relying way too much on uh, people that we know and recognize. And it's funny because I actually prefer Mandalorian season two to season one. But people's complaint that it's like, ah, oh, man, it sucks that Mando season one started out as truly a show that felt very separate from the Skywalker saga. And then season two comes around and it's immediately like, all right, never mind. Like now we're fully back into that. Like here's all these characters that you've seen a million times. So if they do that too much with Andor season two, I think that would be disappointing. So they don't need to. And it seems like the writers, I trust that they know they don't need to. So we'll see what happens. But either way, cannot wait for season two. Yeah, I'm not too worried about that with this show just because Tony Gilroy is the guy behind Rogue One and this show. And it doesn't seem like he cares about connecting it to familiar characters it seems like he cares more about telling real and grounded star wars stories and i think with him being attached for this entire show i think we're still in really good hands for the future he's no john favreau is what i'm saying yeah fuck you john (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding we love you john um all right well guys that is andor we did three full episodes on this so in like the early days of our podcast, uh, we would do like episode by episode discussions. This is kind of the closest that we've uh, gotten back to that. So this, was, this was fun to be able to talk about a show in much more depth. Oh, yeah. It's been a good time. I agree. This was actually uh, nine hours with Star Wars that I thought was well spent instead of some of our past stuff. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Um, and unless I like blacked out of my mind, I mean, we did, we did not go to Tatooine in this show. Uh, so that is a win 
for Austin more than anybody else. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> even mentioned. I loved it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here. Before we do, though, of course, we have to real quickly do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is the part of our show where we close out by just talking about something that we think deserves specific praise. Now, of course, when I say praise, it could be positive or it could be negative. So, Austin and Keith, what will your award be? Yeah, I'm going to give the future WWE Superstar Award to Brazos, the way he is picking people up, slamming them down, Ooh, knocking heads together. Nice. He's a, definitely a future pro wrestler in the world of Star Wars. Yeah. He's probably one of the biggest people we've ever seen in Star Wars, yeah. too. Like, he's a he's a giant man. <laughs> like, tough bastard, that guy. And I, he, look, he looks funny in the in the marching band uniform. He must be drinking a lot of that blue milk because he's got strong, big bones. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah. Um, I will be giving, of course, the worst father of the year award, and that goes to Cassian Andor. Uh, Cassian, we know you love B2 Emo deep down, but whenever he's like, Cassian, you're not coming with us. And he's like, no, buddy. I'll, I'll, I'll catch you next time. <laughs> I never get to see you, Cassian. And then he's just like, uh, what does he say? He's like, oh, Cassian's like, I need you to take care and keep an eye on everybody. He's like, you always say that. And he's like, and his response is like, because you do such a great job. It's like, <laughs> he doesn't care. Come on. B2 Emo needs to hang out with you for a bit longer. Come on. B2 Emo is the adopted son that Cassian never wanted. That's what it seems yeah, like. basically. Basically. Remember when the show opened and he got peed on by some wolves? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. B2 Emo will probably die on this show, by the way. Oh, my God. What if B2 Emo actually does survive all the way through the show, but then he has to watch uh, Cassian become best friends with Alan Tudyk in K2SO? <laughs> B2 Emo's going to be like, but what about me, Cassian? And then we're going to see B2 Emo rolling up the Senate steps of Coruscant to meet with Palpatine. And he's going to go, I can help you. I know who Cassian is. <laughs> yeah. He's going to go to the dark <laughs> side. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to become like General Grievous, a, a droid on the dark side. <laughs> I was trained in the Jedi arts by Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> that would be groundbreaking to have like a droid, <laughs> a good droid turned to the dark yeah. side. I'm going to give the Caesar's Palace regular award to Parent, because this guy sounds like he has a gambling problem. And they did mention he, you know, uh, a planet, a casino planet. Canto Bite. <laughs> yeah, Canto Bite. So maybe instead of the Caesar's Palace regular, we'll give the Canto Bite regular award to Perrin. Because, you, you know, he's going there and playing some blackjack, some Texas Hold'em. Maybe we'll see him interact with the child who moves the broom with the force. Maybe, maybe that's how the Perrin dies. That, that kid just kills him with the broom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, love it. Then he goes, my name is Broom Skywalker. Ooh. Ugh, disgusting. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, now I'm thinking of, I'm getting flashbacks to the end of uh, Rise of Skywalker. And that's like the last thing I want to be thinking about right now. So let's get the hell out of here. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. If you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for some more holiday talk. We're covering one that looks super fun. David Harbour's seemingly John Wick-inspired take on old Saint Nick with Violent Night. And lastly, uh, so this week we talked about one of the best shows of the year. Uh, last week we talked about one of the worst of the year, and that would be <laughs> The Santa Clauses with Tim Allen returning as Mr. Chris Kringle himself. Uh, it's awful. We had a fun time with that episode, though, so if you want to hear our thoughts on that, be sure to check it out.
I do have bad news. Uh, the premiere, when we talked about it, was actually the first two episodes because they dropped them at once. I did watch the third episode last week, right after watching the finale of Andor, and it is definitely getting worse. But this, <laughs> the, sadder, the sadder news is I can unfortunately report that we did not get a, an appearance from Lucy. We did not get Judge Reinhold. We did not get Wendy Crewson. And... In Saturday news, David Crumholt as Bernard. We know he's coming, but not yet. Not yet. Well, that's actually great news for me because I have another week where I don't have to watch the Santa Clauses now. There you go. Lastly, we want to hear from you guys. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of Andor? Will B2MO be pushed down a well and forgotten? What are your predictions for season two? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed Andor as much as we did. Um, yeah, that's all I got. I'm sad the show's over, but I'm excited to talk about season two. Hopefully it comes sooner rather than later. So, everybody, hope you have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time for a violent night. Have a good one. See ya. Save the rebellion. Save the dream. Save the dream. Save the dream.